Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode number 46 of the Bible Reading Podcast. Today's big question, what is the spiritual privilege and power that most Christians today neglect, but those in the Bible treasured? Today's passages include this encouraging little ditty from our depressed friend Job. Anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. That's Job 14.1, and sadly, it only gets worse from there. The whole chapter we're going to read today, I'm just giving you a warning because it's it's going to be early that we read it, is absolutely hopeless and depressing. Fortunately, it's wrong. God tells Job this at the end of Job, and Job confesses that he spoke out of ignorance. Job wasn't sinfully wrong. He was ignorantly wrong in his assertions and claims. In the second half of Luke 1, from verse 40, 38 on, we see Mary's beautiful song of praise and Zachariah's stirring prophecy. 1 Corinthians 2 sees Paul contrasting the power of speech with a different and higher kind of power. Our focus passage for today is Genesis 48, and that passage and the podcast is all about blessing. It's high time we talked about blessing on this podcast. So let's read Genesis 48, and then we'll discuss this neglected command, calling, and privilege that Christians have today. Genesis 48, verse 1 in the Christian Standard Bible. Sometime after this, Joseph was told, your father is weaker. So he set out with his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. When Jacob was told, your son Joseph has come to you, Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me. He said to me, I will make you fruitful and numerous. I will make you many nations come from you, and I will make this land as a permanent possession to your future descendants. Your two sons born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are now mine. Ephraim and Manasseh belong to me just as Reuben and Simeon do. Children born to you after them will be yours and will be recorded under the, under the names of their brothers with regard to their inheritance. When I was returning from Padan to my sorrow, Rachel died along the way, some distance from Ephrath in the land of Canaan. I buried her there along the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? And Joseph said to his father, They are my sons God has given me here. So Israel said, Bring them to me and I will bless them. Now his eyesight was poor because of old age. He could hardly see. Joseph brought them to him and he kissed and embraced them. Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face again, but now God has even let me see your offspring. Then Joseph took them from his father's knees and bowed with his face to the ground. Then Joseph took them both with his right hand, Ephraim toward Israel's left, and with his left hand, Manasseh towards Israel's right, and brought them to Israel. But Israel stretched out his right hand and put it on the head of Ephraim the younger, and crossing his hands put his left on Manasseh's head, although Manasseh was the firstborn. Then he blessed Joseph and said, 
the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all harm, may he bless these boys, may they be called by my name and the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and may they grow to be numerous within the land. When Joseph saw that his father had placed his right hand on Ephraim's head, he thought it was a mistake and took took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's. Joseph said to his father, Not that way, my father. This one is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He too will become a tribe, and he too will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother will be greater than he, and his offspring will become a populous nation. So he blessed them that day, putting Ephraim before Manasseh, when he said, The nation Israel will invoke blessings by you, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. Israel said to Joseph, Look, I am about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you back to the land of your fathers. Over and above what I am giving your brothers, I am giving you the one mountain slope that I took from the Amorites with my sword and bow. A few days ago, when we read Romans chapter 12 together, we heard this command from Paul in verse 14. And I want to emphasize, it was a command. And this is what it says, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse. Dozens of times in scripture, the people of God are called to bless people. Unfortunately, in current times, when I say the word blessing, the first two people, two things that most people think of, even most Christians, is number one, a prayer before a meal, and number two, Two, something you say to people when they sneeze so that demons don't fly up their nose in a vulnerable moment. Neither thing is remotely related to the biblical idea of a blessing. But before we go deeper in blessing, I do want a rabbit trail on sneezing for just a moment because sneezing is pretty fascinating if you study it in a historical perspective. It's sneezing itself, it's a very interesting human phenomenon, and religious people have made a big deal about it over the centuries. In Islam, the prophet Muhammad instructed Muslims who sneeze to say, thanks to Allah, and whoever hears them sneeze should say, Uh, may Allah have mercy on you. And the person who sneezed after that should reply, may Allah guide you to the right path and calm your mind. And if that person sneezes again, like some people are apt to do, they keep replying the same reply for a maximum of three times. By then the reply is changed to, may Allah heal you. And the replies stop. According to the Hadiths, the Islamic God likes sneezing, but yawns are from the Satan. So don't you yawn while you're listening to this podcast or the next time you're in church, because now we know where yawns are from. Now, lest you think I'm making fun of Islamic people, Christians have also had some peculiar ideas about sneezing. I'm not going to include a lot of them here, but a couple are worth mentioning. The early church father, Augustine, warned of a number of superstitions he was familiar with that some church people held. He says, some people are often so superstitious that they 
dare even strike a dog that has run between them, but not without paying the penalty. Sometimes the dog sends his smiter quickly away from a ridiculous practice to a real physician. Apparently at that time, it was bad luck for a dog to run between people, so people would hit or kick the dog to prevent it from doing that, and then the dog would, of course, turn around and bite them. Augustine, Augustine continues, Other practices like this are to tread upon the door sill when you cross in front of your house, to go back to bed if you sneeze while putting on your shoes, to return home if you stumble on your way to a certain place, to be more disturbed by the premonition of a future calamity than concerned about the present damage if mice gnaw at your clothing. So in other words, people of that day in the 300s and 400s believed that if a mice, a mouse gnawed on your clothing, that a future calamity was coming your way. And that if you are sneezing when you're tying your shoes in the morning, you need to go back to bed. That's pretty funny. Now, that's ridiculous. And Augustine was not saying those things are true. But in another work he wrote, he had some pretty interesting rules that he gave to Christians about things like sneezing. I'm going to read that to you because it's pretty interesting. Just think about it. This is manners among Christians in the 300s to 400 A.D. At banquets, says Augustine, we should not be forever spitting or violently coughing or blowing our nose. We must consider the feelings of our companions at table, avoid disgusting or nauseating them by our crude conduct, testifying to our own lack of self-control. Not even cattle or asses relieve nature at their feeding troughs, yet many people blow their nose and keep spitting while engaged at the dinner table. Again, if a sneeze takes us by surprise, or even more so, a belch, we need not deafen our neighbor with the noise and in doing so exhibit our lack of manners. A belch should be released silently as we exhale, with our mouth shut, not wide open like the masks of the tragedy. The irritation that causes a sneeze may be relieved by quietly holding the breath. Therefore, we should suppress the accumulated force of the breath politely by controlling our exhaling so as to try to pass unnoticed if some of the excessive air under pressure escapes. It is a sign of boorishness and of lack of discipline to want to add to the noises rather than lessen them. And those who scrape their teeth so much that they draw, draw blood from their gums, besides injuring themselves, also annoy their companions. And beyond a doubt, scratching the ear and irritations to prompt sneezing are gestures proper to pigs, suggestive of the search for immoral pleasures. So, my friends, if you are scratching your ear and trying to prompt yourself to sneeze, well then, according to Augustine, you are a pig and very obviously in search of immoral pleasures. Now, I hope you learned something about sneezing from that, but... Fortunately, this podcast is not about sneezing. It's about blessings. A blessing is a theological reality and a biblical privilege that we do not walk in enough. Right before Jesus left, what was the last thing he did? The very last thing. Think about it for a second and see if you can remember. What is the very, very, very last thing Jesus did before he left this earth? Luke 24, verse 50 to 52. 
Then he led them out as far as Bethany, and lifting up his hands, he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was carried up into heaven. After worshiping him, they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. So the last thing Jesus did on earth was he blessed his people. Before my wife and I had kids, we had some great friends who were slightly older than us, and they did have kids. It was such a treasure to be around people that had experience with such things, because everything we we encountered when we first had kids was new to us, and it was good to have people we could go to and ask some questions. One thing I remember learning vividly from the dad, his name was Michael. Every night before his kids went to bed, he would call them over or go find them, and he would bless them. I don't mean that he would pray for them. He would do that sometimes too. I mean he would bless them. Now, some of you might be asking, what exactly that does that mean if it doesn't mean to pray for them? Well, a great place to look for the answer to that question is Numbers chapter 6, verses 22 through 27. The Lord spoke to Moses, tell Aaron and his sons how you are to bless the Israelites. Say to them, may Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor on you and give you peace. In this way, They will pronounce my name over the Israelites, and I will bless them. Did you hear that at the end? The priest Aaron blesses the people, and then God says, I will bless them. Well, wow, right? If only we were priests, then we could bless people too, and God would bless them. And that would be kind of cool, right? And here it is. We are priests. Not just the pastors listening to this show, not just the ministers, every blood-washed Christian listening to me right now, you are priests. The Bible says it. First Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are priests, not just pastors, but all Christians. We are the light of the world. We are a city on a hill. We are a royal priesthood. We are the body of Christ. We are jars of clay in and of ourselves. There's nothing good in us, but inside those jars of clay is this incredible treasure of Jesus Christ in us, the hope of glory. So we are commanded to bless, and I believe God blesses what we bless. So I bless my kids often, and I bless my friends and strangers too. Earlier this week, I had the privilege of blessing some people in the hospital with me, fellow patients as well as nurses and medical professionals, not because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a child of the king with the privilege and honor to bless people. Hey, and here's some more good news. Not only does God bless when we bless, he will bless us for blessing others. First Peter 3, 8 and 9. Now finally, all of you should be like-minded and sympathetic, should love believers and be compassionate and humble, not paying back evil for evil or insult for insult, but on the contrary, giving a blessing since you were called for this so that you can inherit a blessing. So there's power and benefit in the blessing of a person of God. Power so serious that Jacob fought for it, and Isaac wept when he realized that he had blessed the wrong person. 
Romans 12.14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For in doing so, you will be heaping fiery coals on his head. Do not be conquered by evil, it says a couple of verses later. Do not be conquered by evil, but conquer evil with good. When we bless those who curse us, we're conquering evil with good. It's an aspect of spiritual warfare. Luke 6, 28, Jesus says, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. First Corinthians 4, 12 and 13, Paul says, when we are reviled, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. When we bless, we are conquering and overcoming with good because there is life-changing power in blessing. Now, I'm not just talking about the Southern practice, and hopefully I can say this because I live 45 years in the South. I'm not just talking about the Southern practice of saying, oh, bless their hearts. I'm talking about really blessing somebody, looking at them, raising your hand to them if it takes it to help you focus because there's not the power is not in your hand, but looking at them and saying, may God himself bless you. May he cause his light to shine on you. May he heal you and may he be with you. Something like that. Or you can simply memorize the ironic blessing we read earlier from number six. May Yahweh bless you and protect you. May Yahweh make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May Yahweh look with favor on you and give you peace. There is power in blessing people. It brings the presence of God and the purifying power of God into a place that is desecrated and tainted by the stain of sin. When we bless people, not only are we doing what we're commanded, but we're also changing the spiritual atmosphere of the place, and we're walking in this promise where God says he will bless us. Now, let's go on to the rest of our scripture. Job chapter 14, verse 1. Remembering what we said at the start, that Job is wrong about a lot of the things he's saying, and God's going to correct him at the end. Anyone born of a woman is short of days and full of trouble. He blossoms like a flower, then withers. He flees like a shadow and does not last. Do you really take notice of one like this? Will you bring me into judgment against you? Who can produce something pure from what is unpure? No one. Since a person's days are determined and the number of his months depend on you, and since you have set limits he cannot pass, look away from him and let him rest, so that he can enjoy his day like a hired worker. There is hope for a tree. If it's cut down, it will sprout again, and its shoots will not die. If its roots grow old in the ground and its stump starts to die in the soil, the scent of water makes it thrive and produce twigs like a sapling. But a person dies and fades away. He breathes his last. Where is he? As water disappears from a lake and a river becomes parched and dry, so people lie down never to rise again. They will not wake up until the heavens are no more. They will not stir from their sleep. If only you would hide me in Sheol and conceal me into your anger until your anger passes. If only you would appoint a time for me and then remember me. 
When a person dies, will he come back to life? If so, I would wait all of my days, all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. You would call and I would answer you. You would long for the work of your hands, for then you would count my steps, but would not take note of my sin. My rebellion would be sealed up in a bag and you would cover over my iniquity. But as a mountain collapses and crumbles and a rock is dislodged from its place, as water wears away stones and torrents wash away the soil from the land, so you destroy a man's hope. You completely overpower him and he passes on. You change his appearance and send him away. If his sons receive honor, he does not know it. If they become insignificant, he is unaware of it. He feels only the pain of his own body and mourns only for himself. Mark chapter 1 verse 39. In those days Mary set out and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judah where she entered Zechariah's house and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped inside her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and your child will be blessed. How could this happen to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For you see... When the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped for joy inside of me. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill what he has spoken to her. And Mary said, My soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and his name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. He has done a mighty deed with his arm, and he has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. And Mary stayed with her about three months, then she returned to her home. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she had a son. Then her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her his great mercy, and they rejoiced with her. When they came to circumcise the child on the eighth day, they were going to name him Zechariah after his father. But his mother responded, No, he will be called John. Then they said to her, None of your relatives has that name. So they motioned to his father to find out what he wanted him to be called, and he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, His name is John. And they were all amazed. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free, and he began to speak, praising God. Fear came on all those living around him, and all these things were being talked about throughout the hill country of Judea. All who heard about him took it to heart, saying, What then will this child become? For indeed, the Lord's hand was with him. Then his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Blessed is the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has visited and provided redemption for his people. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, 
just as he has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets in ancient times, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of those who hate us. He has dealt mercifully with our fathers and remembered his holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father Abraham, he has given us the privilege, since we have been rescued from the hand of our enemies, to serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness in his presence all our days. And you, child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins. Because of our God's merciful compassion, the dawn from on high will visit us, to shine on those who live in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. The child grew up and became spiritually strong, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 1 When I came to you, brothers and sisters, announcing the mystery of God to you, I did not come with brilliance of speech or wisdom. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. I came to you in weakness and fear and in much trembling. My speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of wisdom, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith may not be based on human wisdom, but on God's power." We do, however, speak a wisdom among the mature, but not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. On the contrary, we speak God's hidden wisdom in a mystery, a wisdom God predestined before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age knew this wisdom because if they had known it, they would have not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as, as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear has heard, and no human heart has conceived, God has prepared these things for those who love Him. Now God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, since the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except his spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now we have not received the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who comes from God, so that we may understand what has been freely given to us by, this, by God. We also speak these things, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual things to spiritual people. But the person without the Spirit does not receive what comes from God's Spirit, because it is foolishness to him. He is not able to understand it since it is evaluated spiritually. The spiritual person, however, can evaluate anything, and yet he himself cannot be evaluated by anyone, for who has known the Lord's mind that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And let it also be for us, brothers and sisters, that we would have the mind of Christ. Good day to you, and Godspeed.